0: Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the Cyber Theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity.
1: Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Managing Director at Cyber Theory. Today's episode is going to focus on cloud security and innovation. Joining me today is Avi Shua, the brilliant CEO and co founder at Orca Security, the leader in instant on cloud security. Prior to founding Orca, Avi was the chief technologist the Checkpoint Software and earlier earned his cyber defense chops at the IDF as a software team leader and member of Unit 8200, the Israeli equivalent of RNSA. So welcome, Avi. I'm glad you could join me today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Sure. So a critical component in your cloud security solution at Orca is asset and infrastructure visibility. You accomplish this uniquely, I think, with your side-scanning technology. Can you explain a bit about how that works and the design thinking that went into its development?
0: Sure, but uh, maybe it makes sense to explain what problems we're trying to solve and why this, this technology essentially solved these problems. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'd love to share the thought process that we've put into this problem and how we came with the with, the, with the solution that we are currently providing in Oracle Security. Sure. So if you think about that, in terms of security, one of the top items that we are trying to maximize is coverage. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how well your security Uh, Tools are how strong your defenses are if you don't know that you have it for 100% of the environment. Uh, In most of the cases, organizations are not breached because the walls are not high enough, but simply that they are not covering the entire environment. So, the item that we really wanted to optimize is to be able to provide full coverage, full security visibility for all of the environment. And usually, the thing that limits that is the organizational friction. If you're one developer with 10 uh, workloads, one Kubernetes clusters, it's usually easy to install things. You just go and install them. But once you scale and you talk about an organization that may have thousands of developers, hundreds of thousands of workloads, it's not feasible. You can't really go talk with each one of them, tell them, go install this piece of software, deploy the agents in order to secure the environment. These are processes that can take years and almost never completely succeed. So with that understanding in mind and seeing the frustration of security teams that are trying to get the visibility and ending up in plumbers, rather than practitioners, we look at the, issue, at the a physics of a cloud environment and we ask ourselves whether there is a way that we can get the visibility needed Without any friction at all, without the need to install agents, without the need to install network scanner, without the need to authenticate to the workload themselves. And the way that we eh, thought about it is that all of the tools that existed pre-Orca were rooted in the physical environment. And When you're trying to scan a physical environment, you don't have too many options. You can either install an agent or use a network-based scanner because it's a box in a different room. There is no other way to reach that but cloud workloads are materially different. So we looked at the options that we can assess the environment and found the fact that due to the fact that these are a virtual workload, we can use the virtualization environment itself, the fact that they are running on virtualized storage and scan them from that approach. And this is essentially the idea by inside scanning, taking a forensic style approach without any organizational friction to provide this deep visibility for all of the environment.
1: I see. That makes a lot of sense. In our fragmented IT world today, we, we often see variations on hybrid combination cloud orchestration. Some of it's running on Azure and others may be running on AWS or GCP. This would seem to us to create extra layers of complexity and confusion in managing our entire cloud estate. How does Orca mitigate this problem? So
0: definitely when you are having more cloud environment, each one of them have dozens and sometimes hundreds of services that the organization use, it's add complexity. And it makes it dramatically harder for the practitioner to speak a single language. For example, think of yourself as a practitioner that want to see all of the workloads in the environment. In each cloud provider, they have different names. One of them it's called the VM. In other, it may, call, may be called in different name. And when you are trying to ask more complex question about it, for example, show me all of my assets that can be accessed from the Internet. This becomes extremely hard because each service has its own definition, the way that it can be exposed either directly or indirectly, And if you go to multi-cloud, then you multiply it by multiple amount of environments. And the way that we are helping is that we are modeling all of the customer data from the different cloud environments in a single data model that speaks a common language. So an Oracle customer can, for example, ask a question like, show me all of the workloads that I have in my cloud environment that are exposed to the internet. And it will show that regardless of whether they're AWS, GCP, or Azure, or even show me all of the services that are overprivileged, all of the services that can be accessed from the outside in, and we're able to answer these questions.
1: Yeah, and you do that, I assume, by some sort of scanning mechanism. You don't require any input from your, from your customers?
0: Exactly. It's all based on the site scanning and the metadata scanning that we are performing. Where they read only access to the environment, and then we are essentially putting it in our graph database to be able to come with more general understanding over the environment. So rather than just giving a very long list of uh, alerts or assets, we can essentially provide visibility to whether there, uh, which one of them are more important. For example, we can tell you things like this is a vulnerable web server that is exposed to the internet, and they have keys that can allow accessing your internal environment. And this is a critical attack vector versus, for example, just an alert about an internal asset that cannot be utilized in any meaningful way.
1: Right. And I don't know whether you are a fan of the zero trust movement or whether you think that's a good idea, but we certainly are here. And that's why the Cyber Theory Institute has been has been built around that initiative as our initial initiative here. And one of the keys to zero trust is a reduced attack surface and then the elimination of excessive trust throughout the throughout the network. Or, Orca has a misconfiguration detection capability, I think, that seems to be able to identify flaws in permission management schemes. Could you explain to our listeners how how you do that and how important you think that is to to your overall solution offering? So
0: one of the main things that we do is to look for a deviation from best practices and misconfiguration. And misconfigurations are many times looked as a compliance issue. For example, you are trying to find security groups that are too open to find users that are not using multi-factor authentication, etc. And this is important, but the main problem with that is that it really results in alert fatigue. One of the shocking factors is that if, for example, you just create an AWS account brand new, just put your credit card and install most of the tools in the market today, they'll give you around 100 critical alerts, even if you don't have anything in it, because the default configuration deviates from the best practices. But just because something deviates from best practice and every misconfiguration doesn't mean it's critical. So our approach of that is to look at it as a vector. So yes, you can see all of the misconfiguration and if you need to it for compliance reason, you can go over them. But the way that we recommend our customer to look at it is not just to look at the list of misconfiguration, but to look at it as a tech vector, as cases that this misconfiguration can actually be exploited. For example, you have an open port and behind this open port, there is a machine that doesn't have multi-factor authentication. It's dramatically more important than a misconfiguration of an open port when there is nothing listening to this port.
1: Right, right. So you differentiate between the, I guess, access to the critical assets that are vulnerable versus those that may be vulnerable but don't have that same access.
0: It's uh, even the combination of data, because it, think about that. If you take a more siloed approach to security, for example, you just look at vulnerabilities separately, you look at misconfiguration, look at identity, then you don't see the actual risk that encompasses all three of them, that there is an exposed vulnerable asset with credentials. You just see all of the vulnerability, all of the open assets, all of the overprivileged roles. And usually you need a combination of issues, for it to be actually impactful for an organization.
1: Right. And identifying critical assets and then building, building small protect surfaces around them and then segmenting them away from the, the broader networks attack surface is another fundamental principle of the zero trust model. Can folks actually use your solution to find and identify their risk-sensitive data and speed that process along?
0: So, yes, we can definitely detect sensitive data such as PII. We do these searches ourselves. And we have the heuristics that essentially prioritize the attack vectors based on the ability to access this sensitive data, to, pin, to point the practitioners into the risks that actually matter in the environment.
1: Yeah, that's great. Just as an aside here, did you... Uh... You conceive much of this while you were working away at Checkpoint, or did this, or or was this sort of a lifelong effort on your part to to move to a solution that didn't exist before? So I've been in
0: Checkpoint for many years, more than eleven years, but and I've learned a lot in this period. I've seen. The actual struggles of organization, the friction that they are facing in certain sec- security tools, the problems that they're actually trying to handle every day. And it's very different working on that from a security vendor for many years rather than as a developer that sees a much narrower point, a much narrower view of the issues. But all of, and with that understanding, this experience, I and additional seven co founders started Orca Security. But the way that we, the idea behind side-scanning and the graph theory that we use is all stuff that we created afterwards as we were digging into the space and building Orca.
1: Did you start in a small garage somewhere in Sunnyvale?
0: (laughs) In fact, I was based in Tel Aviv based then. It was a coffee shop near the beach, great view, but not a garage.
1: (laughs) And then all of a sudden, a few weeks ago, you raised... Five hundred and fifty million in a oversubscribed C round. That uh, that must be that's must be a fabulous feeling and incredible sense of accomplishment from a from a coffee shop to five hundred million C. What's the one thing that you would name that you would attribute your success to here so far?
0: Well, I think there's one thing that is important, and this to be extremely obsessed on the customer challenges, on the real ones. People don't buy technology because it's cool. They buy it because it actually solves a real pain point. Just look at the look for j vulnerability that have been in the news in the last week or, or two. Organizations that were using older technologies literally had to struggle, update agents over the weekends, follow the environments or to install them. And this is a daunting task that usually don't finish. All her customers, and we are fortunate enough to allow many organizations that weren't our customers to use our platform these, in these two weeks, simply connected and got the full list of the vulnerable assets. And that's it. This is a real problem that we solved for them. And this is the one thing that matters. The rest doesn't matter in order to to build a successful company. Just focus on actually solving the real customer challenges.
1: Is your messaging directed at the outcomes? or CISOs and other security practitioner buyers, is when you say focus on the things that matter, the things that matter usually are interpreted as, uh, you know, what, what outcome do I want? What, what am I trying to achieve here? Exactly. So
0: it's about solving these challenges and solving it in a way that makes their life easier. The interesting thing about Orca, theoretically, we haven't solved a new problem. The problems that that we solved existed before. We simply solved them in a dramatically better way. This is also what caused us to run and to um, be able to accelerate that fast. Because it's not like we're telling customers that you need to find new budget for new problems. These are problems that that they were struggling with for years. We simply created a dramatically better way to solve these challenges.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, I mean, don't you think that the, I mean, from my point of view, the cloud, you know, it's not the cloud's fault, but the cloud, the, op- the opportunity in the cloud has brought along with it some significant changes in the complexity of the, of the problem space from my point of view. I don't know that there, was, there has been any clear leadership in the cloud space. To address that kind of complexity, do you? So I think that the main mistake that most
0: vendors did there is to try to treat the cloud as an extension of the existing environment, of the on-prem environment. And they just took mostly the approaches that that existed on the on-prem to solve it. And these approaches were probably suboptimal for the on-prem but this is what this is what we add. But they're definitely dramatically suboptimal for the cloud. I think that one thing that we saw, and it's not only with security, it's also with migration and other tools, is that almost every time we just try to take the tools and the paradigms that we had for the on-prem and move them to the cloud, we failed. It's all new world to justify taking new approaches.
1: Right. Some of the marketing messages that have permeated the space over the last, uh, let's say, a year and a half or so, have been focused on cloud native. From my point of view, I don't think folks generally understand what that means and what the benefit is. Can you explain in your from your point of view what, what cloud native actually means in terms of both the technical approaches and the outcomes for the buyer?
0: So you know, I think cloud native is in many cases something that marketers love to use in order to say that their product works well for the cloud. Right. And many times it's simply just a marketing term to uh, to say it was suited for the cloud, where behind the scenes it's something that is built for the on-prem and had some cloud put on it uh, as an afterthought. In my opinion, cloud native is something that actually leveraged the Capabilities of the cloud in order to do its job in a way that is ideal and optimized for the cloud. For example, Orca side scanning doesn't work on on prem, it simply cannot work. It assumes the physics of the cloud. This is cloud native. Taking an agent that existed for 20 years and putting an AWS log on it doesn't make it cloud native.
1: Right. How, how would you describe the physics of the cloud, as you say? So these are virtual
0: workloads. They have different physical manifestations from an on-prem environment. They run sometimes for milliseconds versus on-prem workloads can run, usually run for years. They they may have the same IP addresses over and over. There's so many differences in it. And when you take tools that are not cloud native, usually face the obstacle because it was never planned for that. For example, I've seen people trying to install agents and the agent failing catastrophically because their the workloads were running only for minutes. And nobody in his right mind at the data center where the agent were only running for minutes. And these tools were planned for a different world. So I, I really think that cloud native are things that were designed from scratch to support the very different environments of public cloud.
1: And do you think is container are containers a part of that difference as well. And in other words, yeah you know, containers would behave very differently if if at all in an on-prem environment versus versus a cloud environment. is that a good example in your mind of uh, the differences there between cloud native and not?
0: It is one example, and containers is definitely an example, but it's only not only the it's not the only example. Virtual networking, a different. The many services are different. They're extremely, ex- a very long list of things that are living different in cloud environment than in on-prem. Yeah.
1: So what are you going to do with that $550 million? So
0: we are continuing to execute on our vision. We are growing dramatically. We grew from around 40 people last year to more than 250 now. We are growing in 1,000% year over year for two years now. And so we're continuing to invest both in R&D and in making sure that our product is available around the world. We saw huge demand for our product. We have been literally selling it to organizations all over the world where we had absolutely no local teams, and we are planning to change that. So we're continuing to invest in all parts of the business.
1: Yeah. So my final question here, and I'm I'm conscious of the time, Avi, is... Uh, now that you see what the effects of growing from 40 to 250 people in a very short period of time are what as a CEO and you I mean you were the founding CEO now you're the you know the ongoing CEO uh, what effect is it going to have is that expanded scope and scale going to have on your ability to manage everything that you used to manage with your hands uh, on
0: these tons of of uh, differences of things that work uh, differently when you're supporting hundreds of customers versus a few, for example, or when you have uh, your sales team become 100 people versus two people. So you must delegate. You must bring people that you trust. There's absolutely no way that you can do it all by your own. It doesn't scale. And bringing the leaders that trust and can scale the business is the most important thing. Building the company is not the one main job. It's all about the people.
1: Yeah, and then finding those people and knowing whether you can trust them to do the work that you used to do is a, is a very challenging task because it requires that you let go of some of your, some of your biases, right?
0: So it is a changing task, but I think it's a lot about finding people that agree with the vision. Once this is the most important thing. If someone don't agree with the vision, it's not a it won't be a good fit. Life in a startup can be challenging. There's tons of work. There's a lot of both good and hard moments. And you must be aligned together to make it a
1: success. Yeah. No kidding. Well, listen, Avi, I really appreciate you taking the time today. This was a great discussion, I thought. It was fascinating to learn how you guys put this together and and uh, what your leadership position in the space is. And, you know, just mega congratulations on that round. That's phenomenal investor confidence. Surely you guys are the leader in the space. So um, thank you for, for taking the time out of your schedule to join me and giving our listeners something to think about. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thank you to our listeners for joining us in another one of Cyber Theory's unplugged reviews of the complex and crazy world of cybersecurity, technology, and the new digital reality in which we all live. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us
0: for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or
1: Facebook at CyberTheory or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io
0: forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.